What you believe about God is the most formative thing shaping your character. It's the most formative thing shaping your nation's character. With that in mind, today we continue to ask and answer the question, what did Jesus teach about God? Welcome everyone, this is the Ministry of the Bread of Life, and I'm Joel Van Hoogen. It's been my honor to be the Bible teacher at this ministry for over 20 years, and we've rejoiced to be able to come to you every weekday. This is a program of the International Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and its Missions Church Fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. You can learn more about our work by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. The Lord Jesus did not teach a systematic theology. He spoke about God to others according to what they needed to hear and know. He didn't try to prove the existence of God. He assumed the existence of God. He knew that deep down everyone had a witness of God that they were often suppressing. Jesus simply spoke to others what they needed to hear about God for their own sakes. In John chapter 3, you have the account of a spiritual leader in Israel that comes to speak to the Lord Jesus in the middle of the night. It's Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is one of the 70 great, he's a member of the Sanhedrin, which is one of the 70 great spiritual leaders in all the nation. And you can imagine that Nicodemus is an individual who spends most of his time with these other 70 individuals as they rally together and speak about the important things that need to be taught to the nation and the concerns for the nation. And they've taken a great sense of self-importance in their capacity to write long treatises and have long-developed thoughts about the way men ought to live and who God is and how God is to be approached and how they instruct people. And here's an individual who had a profound understanding in his own mind what God was like and how God worked and how God moved among the nations. And he and his associates would probably often flatter themselves in these kinds of conversations. And if you don't know what this kind of conversation is like, just go to any seminary today. Listen to lectures and listen to what young men talk about when the lectures are over with and you'll have an idea. He comes to the Lord Jesus to speak to Jesus and when Jesus encounters him, you'll see that the Lord Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, this man with an inflated intelligence in the most simple forms, with the most simple expressions. First, the Lord Jesus tells Nicodemus, you've got to be like a little baby and start all over again. You've got to be born again. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you're going to have to come down from your your great high thinking of yourself and your ideas, and you're going to have to put them all aside, and you're going to come to like an infant before God. And, And then when he began to speak to Nicodemus about God, He reveals something to Nicodemus that is an expression of God in the most simple, childlike way. In fact, if you've grown up in a Christian family, you know the very first verse that your parents taught you. It's a very simple verse that you learn in the nursery and you've carried with you all your life and you can grow with it and the meaning of it can expand in your mind as you grow, but it's it's John 3.16 and it's the verse in which the Lord Jesus begins to dispel or put before Nicodemus an idea or thought of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's this man with towering intellect and great thoughts of the realities of God and who he is and has engaged with people in these conversations until late in the night and it's late in the night now and he's come to Jesus saying, you're a great teacher and we know it and He wants to spar intellectually with the Lord Jesus, and maybe he's inquiring as well, but the Lord Jesus brings him down low to think of simple, wonderful truths of God. 
To see God as somebody who is loving and universally loving all people and a God who is giving and giving to such an extent that he would give his own precious son for the sins of the world. Karl Barth was considered one of the greatest intellects and theologians of the last century. You can take his teaching or leave it. But once he was asked what was the most profound thought that he ever had, and after thinking about it for a moment, he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So when Jesus spoke to this great towering intellect, he leaves him on his knees with a view of the simple, pure, giving, saving love of God for all the world. In the very next chapter, John chapter 4, the Lord Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman. And the Samaritans were considered by the Jews kind of religious mutts. They were considered to be uneducated, unknowledgeable in the ways and will of God. They were the unsophisticated who had somehow married their paganism with an idea of God. And it was almost worse than the pagans themselves. They had so infiltrated their ideas, the the Jewish concepts of God with pagan notions and ideas that they were rejected altogether and considered completely unclean. And, and the Lord Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman in the middle of the day, and she's come in the middle of the day because she's not popular in her own society. She's rejected by her own Samaritan society, and so she's come at a time when it's not normal for people to come and gather water. And the reason she's come is because she's married five times, and the man that she's living with now is not her husband. And the Lord Jesus engages this Samaritan woman, this uneducated Samaritan woman in a conversation. And when you study the great statements of the Lord Jesus, as I said before, the Lord Jesus never gives, in a sense, a definitive declaration of who God is, a theological declaration of who God is. He just takes something he assumes to be true about God and applies in the middle of the conversation to the need of the person he's speaking to. He does that all the time except for once. And the most profound and most significant and in a sense most philosophically concentrated statement that the Lord Jesus ever makes about God, he makes to this Samaritan woman. Samaritan woman says, I don't understand where I can meet with God and know God. You Jews say that God is to be worshipped in Jerusalem and, and our people say that God is to be worshipped in this mountain over here and I don't know where to meet God. The Lord Jesus looks at her and says, I tell you, woman, God is spirit. Actually, in the Greek, it's spirit is God. It's emphatic. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He was teaching her this most profound and deep thought to the simplest of individuals Basically, he's saying God is unbounded by space and time and place. And listen, madam, you are able to meet with him and worship him in your spirit if you will honestly do so. You can meet with him anywhere. A simple thought of God's love for the intellectual giant in order to bring him down from his chair of knowledge and cause him to lay low like a child before the truths of God. God loves the world and has given his son to save us. A profound thought of the limitless, spaceless God for the simple, uneducated woman of Samaria in order to lift her up high into the realm of God's mysterious throne so that she could be elevated to worship him there at any time and in that very place. How wonderful. Jesus presents God to the moral and spiritual need of those that he's speaking to. To the proud and arrogant, 
he brings them low to see God in humility. To those in the dust, he lifts up to see God in the greatness of his expanse and know that they might know God and experience God there. What a wise teacher our Lord was. Here's the third thing I want you to see. When Jesus spoke of God, his normal and common way for referring to God was as a father. When he spoke of God in relationship to himself, he spoke of him as my father. When he spoke of God in relationship to his disciples, those who were a part of the community that looked to him and understood that he was the Savior or the Messiah. In other words, when he spoke to these people that were formulating the messianic community, were following him and coming before truth and coming before God through him, he spoke to those individuals and referred to God as your father. My father and your father. Now now keep in mind, the Lord Jesus doesn't give everyone this access or this connection to God. When he spoke to the religious leaders and the individuals who thought that they were kind of like the moral standard bearers for the nation and were setting the example that everybody should follow in, he didn't say to them that God was their father. In John chapter 8, there's a conversation that the Lord Jesus is having with these leaders and through it, multiple times, the Lord Jesus will refer to God as his father and they will actually threaten him and the Lord Jesus reveals that they're actually pondering or wanting in their hearts to kill him because he's saying these things about his connection and relationship to God as his father. And then the Lord Jesus says to them, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do for he was a murderer from the beginning He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar, and he is the father of... Yeah. That's who you're from. But to his followers, to those who had come to him and were seeing him as the Messiah, he began to open up to them an understanding of God that was completely different. God was their father. And this was in a sense, completely foreign in the idea of the Jew. I should say this again. It wasn't completely foreign, but it was also an idea that wasn't being applied in the Jewish mindset. Actually, if you go to the Old Testament, you'll see that there are 13 different occasions in all of the Old Testament. It's a lot of your Bible here, in which God is referred to and designated as a father. But you'll also find in the book of John that the Lord Jesus in the book of John referred to God as father 124 times. He took what was a general conceptual idea, and the Jews accepted it, particularly they accepted it because they thought of themselves as God's covenant people that had been created by God for a special relationship with God. And so in those occasions, periodically, they might conceive of the idea that God was their father, but the Lord Jesus comes along, and now the Lord Jesus, almost exclusively, when relating those he's speaking to, to God, speaks to God as your father or my father. Unless he's challenging them, then he speaks to them as the Lord, the all-powerful Yahweh, the Lord. This is quite interesting. This is actually quite profound. This is unlike the way that Jews consistently thought of God. They have, may have identified all the ways of God in which God was like a father, They may even think that God was uniquely a father who had created the Jewish people, but they were not in the habit at this time of appropriating that intimate relationship to God in a personal manner to themselves. It was just a conceptual idea, not a personal idea. And yet when the Lord Jesus spoke and communicated God, he almost always communicated God to individuals in this very personal fashion. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, it's called ISBEs, 
tells us that a symmetrical and beautiful picture of the duties and characters of the ideal father may be built from statements in the Old Testament. Here's what it says. Think about it for a moment. He loves. He commands. He instructs. He guides and encourages. He warns and he trains. He rebukes. He restrains and holds back. He he punishes and he chastens. He nourishes. He delights in his children. He delights in their wisdom. He's deeply pained by their folly and their sin. He is considerate of their needs and their requests. He is considerate of their weaknesses and their burdens. He is tenderly familiar with them. He's self-restrained in dealing with them. He doesn't blow them over. He doesn't provoke them to wrath. He holds the highest view for their potential. He pities them in their weakness. He is the last one to desert them when everyone else does. Those are just images of the ideal father. That's God. The ideal father in the Old Testament is not something that God is fashioned after. It's what is fashioned after God. God is the ideal father. This is his heart and his way. And and that's what the Lord Jesus was teaching and instructing. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.